Hi everyone, I'm Ricardo Gonsalves and you're listening to the Ricardo and Ready podcast. Inspiring stories during lockdown taken from our live Ricardo and Ready Facebook show. Origami is a huge part of Japanese culture and is an activity anyone can do at home, especially during lockdown. And it's something journalist Kumi Taguchi has mastered. Mark Ready and I spoke with her. Hello. Hi. How are you guys? So good to see you. You too. How's lockdown for you? I mean, I, I saw you last weekend, but how are you going? Oh, you know, um, yeah, okay. A bit over a bit over walking my, you know, three square blocks and like everyone, right? But um, mm. it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Coping. Walking's actually very tiring, especially if you do it <laughs> like multiple times a day because you need to get out. It's incredibly tiring. Yeah, I've been running a lot too, I've got to say, like just hitting the hitting the 4 o'clock, 4.30 time of the day and just going, okay, I'm going to see the light on the water and um, I'm thinking if anything comes out of this, at least I'll be fit, you know? Yeah, exactly. You won't, yeah. And I feel like I'm actually eating a lot more, but I'm running a lot more too, so it's kind of all balancing out. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Pandemic balance. Now, um, one thing that's keeping us entertained during the pandemic, before we talk about the origami, um, Kumi, you've had probably one of the biggest audiences ever because um, you took part in the opening ceremony of the Tokyo Olympic Games as a commentator. What was that like? Yeah, look, it was, thanks for asking, it was pretty amazing actually, you know, to a couple of things. One, to be kind of part of that broadcast, I think we had 3.2 million people watching. Another was, as you guys would know, you know, We've got ABC, SBS, SBS, but to kind of work across another network, I think it's just just a really great opportunity and really fun and and to be part of a new team. And then I was wanting to be in Tokyo for the Olympics, so I'd I'd already signed up to be a volunteer like years ago, I think in about 2017, 2018, um, had always planned to be in Tokyo for the Olympics. So obviously you can't be there. And so just to be kind of part of it and see that ceremony unfold and feel like I was half there and feel my kind of Japanese flag patriotism come out was such an honour, really, such an honour and, um, yeah, such a great thing to be part of. And we've got the closing ceremony in eight days, so I can't actually can't wait to get back to it. Did it feel weird being um, in Sydney? Is it kind of sort of like this virtual world, like you're, you're doing this Olympic thing but you're not there, but you're kind of getting all the broadcasts. Is it a really surreal feeling? Because when 2000 happened in Sydney and London, which I worked at, it was this buzz, but did it still have the buzz anyway? Um. Oh, your mum's saying hello, Ricardo. Hi, Zezza. <laughs> um, um, how's, how's my cakes going? When are they coming? Um, great question. I think because... So the core team of the commentary teams in Melbourne, and I was the only one in the Sydney studio. So I was remote from them, but we'd organised some really amazing ways to communicate with each other. So we felt like a a combined unit. In terms of Japan, I think because so many people are remote from it now, and in a sense, let's say I was there, let's say I'd had the fortune to be commentating or doing something, I probably would have been in a broadcast studio 
anyway. So you're just not getting the buzz of it going to mm. and from a broadcast studio. So it didn't feel that way. And I just feel like for Japan to even get to the starting line, for even a big network to be able to even broadcast under COVID conditions, keep everyone COVID safe, make sure that no one gets COVID in order to get to the studio. I feel like just to get to the starting line as a broadcast was such an achievement anyway. So there was a real sense of buzz that, hey, we're actually here, we're actually doing it. And we'd also watched the opening ceremony like about 85% of it a few nights before because you're allowed to do that minus the major kind of parts of the ceremony. So we already felt a sense of a buzz that it was really happening. And um, so actually I felt super, super excited and I didn't feel in any level that I was missing out on something strangely enough. But you're the first person who's asked that. It's an interesting question. Uh, Kumi, speaking of buzz, what is it about Japan, Tokyo that you love and the culture? Tokyo itself, let me think, to summarise it, you know, the, the shots that we see, the Shibuya crossing, the really busy crossing, the kind of robots, the busyness, the tech side of Japan is what's sort of sold in a way of Tokyo. But Tokyo's, um, like if you imagine there's this little dot on the map and the same number of people in that tiny dot in Tokyo live in the entire, is the entire population of Australia, right? So that's just a crazy yeah. concept. It's like imagining everyone in Australia kind of in Melbourne and greater Melbourne. So, but the thing about Tokyo is when you're there, I mean, you've been, you don't, apart from those major areas, I don't ever feel like it's rushed, busy, too hard to navigate. Um, you know, three or four blocks is kind of one little neighbourhood. So what I love about it is that you can feel like you're in a, where my grandparents' house used to be is in Tokyo, but like say 20 minutes away from the centre of it, but it feels like you're in a little village. And I think that's what I love about Tokyo. It's very walkable. There's still really sort of old and new aspects to it. It's still very much like you can ride your bike around. There's old people on bikes. There's young kids just playing on the street. So it's sort of very community feeling and very safe. And then the Japanese culture, what I love about it is there's a real sense of um, adherence to and respect of tradition. And everyone is very polite. When I went back there, it was a long time ago. I was 19, so a very long time ago. Everyone <laughs> really, really polite. And I remember I didn't speak any Japanese. I could say maybe a few words. And I remember coming out of Shinjuku train station and being by myself and having absolutely no idea where I was. And I somehow managed to communicate with this woman who was a grocer and she gave me directions and she couldn't speak any English and rightly so because I'm the foreigner in Japan. And she was so persistent to get me to my, my hotel. Mm. Really good job. And I just think that was amazing. That was the first memory of mine that sticks with me with Japan. Yeah, that's so true. And you come across that two dozen times a day there. Um, yeah, I, re I really, I really miss that, and that those kind of stories are all over the place. You know, if you leave your wallet somewhere, it'll never be taken. You leave your money somewhere, it'll never be stolen. Um, you know, it's normal to go to like a Starbucks, and there's tables all outside, and you see the table you want, and you leave your bag on the seat to say, "Hey, I'm going to come back in ten minutes with my coffee." But you've left your bag on a seat on a road in the middle of Tokyo, and it will not get stolen. And you're kind of looking back, going, "Surely this is like a joke." But it just, just doesn't happen. So, yeah, that's exactly it. Kumi, let's talk about origami. What I love about it is that it's something you can do at home. So with people yeah. in lockdown, and they probably never thought about 
the art of folding paper. Can you maybe tell us about the significance of origami in Japanese culture and then uh, maybe a bit about um, crane origami? And I've got a little picture here that I did take from your Instagram. Oh, thank you. So folding crane. So paper folding is a big part of Japan, has been for ages. And I love the idea that you can get a square piece of paper and just make it into so many different things. It's so easy to do. And even if you've got like A4 printer paper at home, it's really easy to turn that into a square. You just kind of fold it sort of across and cut off the long bit, if that makes sense. So you can just do it with anything you've got at home. As kids, we used to make stuff out of napkins that are at a restaurant or you just get an old receipt that you've got in your wallet and you can turn it into a square. So you can essentially turn anything into a square. I find it very meditative. I also find it like a really great thing just to kind of do something with your hands and make something so easily. And the crane thing, like I know I've sent you notes in the past, I put a crane in it. For me, it's a little gesture to um, to show that person who I've written a note to that I've taken the time to make something. I've picked out a colour out of this wad of origami paper that I haven't thought about that person and what colour would they like. I just feel like it's just a really lovely thing to do and it takes only like five minutes to make well, actually, it takes me only two minutes, but it takes like five minutes to make a crane. And the crane for me is so um, the crane came out of um, Hiroshima. So 70, well, this is me folding a crane the other day. Um, so it's 76 years, um, in fact, in about a week's time when Hiroshima was bombed. And there's a story of this young girl called Sadako. It's a real story. So she was about 10 when the um, city was bombed. She survived the nuke the um, atomic bomb, but about two years later she got really sick and she started to get blood poisoning and stuff and was in hospital. And so she became this kind of symbol of the aftermath of the atomic bomb and she started folding paper cranes in hospital from the little medicine packets that were wrapped around her medicine, little gold cranes, little silver cranes, little paper cranes. And her classmates also started folding paper cranes for her and bringing them to her in hospital. And they had this thing, this dream that maybe if they folded a thousand paper cranes, she would survive. She didn't. She died of um, leukemia. And I think they got to something like 684 or 725 cranes. But as a result, everywhere you go in Hiroshima, there are cranes everywhere outside government buildings, inside cafes. These are some photos I took just a few years ago. Um, the one on the right with a sort of heart-shaped um, statue, that's just outside a kind of municipal kind of boring council building. The other ones, um, those cranes are in front of a, in fact, those are schoolgirls and there's an E equals MC squared thing there, that Einstein's theory of relativity. But um, it's a huge, huge part of Hiroshima and a huge part of Japanese culture because essentially the crane has become a symbol of peace. And in every single classroom in Japan, there's a, a thousand paper cranes hanging in the corner of a, of a classroom. And it, it's something that just you do, you know, you have a thousand paper cranes there because it's a sense that you fold them, you wish peace upon that classroom and, and, and upon the city that you're in. And it's just a, it's a huge part of culture. So for as long as I can remember, I've folded um, paper cranes yeah Kumi that was awesome thank you so much for um the my lesson pleasure. and for telling us a bit more about your um Japanese culture my pleasure it's great to see you guys I miss you I miss you, miss too. you too stay, stay safe Bye. Bye. thanks Kumi Bye.